Word of God with you. Acts 2.39, the next generation matters. The next generation matters. Isn't that true? The next generation matters. I'm loving it this morning that I'm seeing like teenagers in here, young people, maybe some elementary students, things like that. It is my people because that is the thing. That's where I am mentally in my life. I love to try to stay relevant, to try to be in that world, uh, but it, uh, my, my body does not keep up with my mind in those areas. But um, we're talking about the next generation today, and uh, we're going to talk about a battle. Because every one of us are living a battle every day, and, uh, and that's why we're going to go to the Word of God today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, if you'll stand, we're going to go to Acts 2, 39, and then after that, we're going to look at De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, a familiar passage if you've read in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9, the scripture is on the board also on the screen. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all of your might. Notice the word all. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign at your, on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, the word is to be everywhere. This is God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. For the past few weeks, we've been doing a deep dive into the early church and how that translates into our church today. We've been challenged both corporately and individually as to how we live out the mission of the gospel for salvation and discipleship. And this is a burden of the church today for us to understand because I, I kind of want you to set aside the idea that the, like a head of school is up here or uh, uh, maybe an older pastor. I want to come to you as a brother in Christ that has, by God's grace, with my wife, raised three kids that are now out of the home. And I want to be a coach in your corner give you some things, tell you the ugly of my world, the things I did wrong. Because when I look back and evaluate my parenting, it was actually ugly more than pretty. I don't, nobody else is like that, right? We, you get it right. So you're like, I can check out because I do this right. You know, it's interesting because We're going to explore how we are called as the church of Jesus Christ to pass the message, the promise of God to the next generation. And I think this is the the biggest thing that we need to talk about when it comes to discipling the next generation. We do not need a lot of Christians that their faith is an inch deep. We need Christians in our world today who have depth And it starts when those little ones are that tall, doesn't it? Or at least it should. See, the next generation is not just the future church or the future of the church. The next generation is part of the DNA of this church. It's the lifeblood. It's the thread that we live 
And so therefore, in this incredible opportunity of training up the next generation, we also have a school that's attached to the church here. We have 880 students that come in here every day. Over 100 staff and faculty entered the doors. We're a ministry of First Naples Church. So this topic of the next generation and how we educate and influence our children is so important because we're living in a broken world. You and I are living in a broken world, aren't we? And a lot of my parenting life was trying to protect my people from the brokenness. But I just have, a, I have to make this authoritative statement for everybody in here today. We will not save our children from all brokenness. Nobody's that strong. You might try to control it. But nobody can save the kids from all brokenness. And nobody can save you from your broken, brokenness and my, me from my brokenness. This is why conspiracy theories matter. Have you ever read about a conspiracy theory? Let me bring some up for you. Miriam Dictionary says a conspiracy theory explains an event or a set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by usually powerful conspirators. Some conspiracy theories are lighter than others. Now, when I, when I actually interviewed for this position, I was... Uh, allowed to, to uh, you know, introduce to Pastor Allen's office. And if you've ever been in there, it, it's pain at Kentucky blue. There was no doubt that he was a fan of the Kentucky uh, team, right? Of Kentucky. And I began to come to messages here and sit where you are every Sunday. And I would look at the blue lights and I was like, the blue lights are because he's a Kentucky fan. And so I asked the guys in AVL today if we could change them a little bit just to see what happened. Because when I actually started asking about the conspiracy theory, I was like, well, maybe we should just turn it to a different color. <laughs> but they said, the reason it's blue is so that on the internet when they're streaming, it might, you know, I might look too pink right now. <laughs> but... This is the deepest red they got, and so roll tide. <laughs> it's all a conspiracy theory. But in a real sense, we've been privy to some incredibly serious conspiracy theories that for some have been the center of debates and arguments for decades. Conspiracies surrounding what happened in 9-11. Princess Diana's death, whether we landed on the moon, JFK's assassination, COVID, COVID vaccinations, 5G telephones, and whether or not it gives us headaches, and whether the earth is flat, conspiracy theories. No matter what side you fall on concerning the above topics, please do not approach me <laughs> after the service to talk about it. <laughs> I'm conceding to you right now and saying, you're right. You're right. Because I don't want to talk about it. That way we'll save some time. But imagine with me the greatest conspiracy theory of all time. 
a creator with knowledge that the world would be broken, an all-powerful authority did not, that did not want his creation to be happy, a brutish thug who really did not want humanity to thrive, be ignorant of all they could enjoy, to not be able to really tap into their human potential, all the tearing down of God's goodness, all the enjoyment of a perfect place, all the amenities of the ultimate provider, all culminated in the all-time greatest conspiracy theory. You ready for this? Did God actually say? That's what Satan said to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really mean that if you partook of the fruit that you actually... See, God's just trying to hide from you. He doesn't want you to be ultimate power. He doesn't want you to know God's the enemy. God's unfair. And now that humanity decided, that's us. That's all of us. Now that humanity decided to accept that God was trying to dupe them, not giving them everything we deserve, Literally, all of hell broke loose. Satan and the one that said, I will be like God, has convinced us all to do the same. And the damage has been done. From that moment in the garden until now, the world around us has fallen into the depths of brokenness from the secret plot of a powerful conspirator, and his name is the accuser, the devil. We're all broken. But we live in a broken world, and our kids are part of this world. And Satan is alive and well, folks. Do you know that the average age of exposure to pornography for a young man today is at the age of eight? 50% of Gen Zers get their news from social media influencers. One in four Gen Zers know of someone struggling with a drug addiction. 42% of Gen Zers have confessed to feeling depressed at some point since 2020. This is not the outside world, this is here. Folks, we need to understand this, this is here. I have parented through the brokenness. Because I'm broken, I put up all the controls. And young people are searching and wondering what and who is the answer to this moment in time. And we must be resolved as the church of Jesus Christ to say there is only one answer. It is only from Jesus. Only from Jesus. And I just found myself when I was parenting trying to give them everything that I thought they needed. Oh, but they need to have this experience and they need to do. Our three kids need Jesus right now where they are. God continually said that to us in his world. Where do we go from here? God has placed us in this world to know him and proclaim his word. As parents and grandparents, our belief is consumed and modeled by our children. And let me just make this statement because I want to kind of make you wrestle at home with these things. Make you think and chew. That's where critical thinking comes from. You think about these things, not just be preached at by the person in your corner. You need to chew on this. But I, I, 
I wrestled with this statement myself. The primary belief system I allow my children to consume is a direct reflection on what I find to be important. Let me read that again. The primary belief system I allow my children to consume is a direct reflection on what I find to be important. I'm allowing them to consume. Therefore, my thoughts better align with God's thoughts and my life with his will. If we as Christian influencers, especially parents, determine that we model our beliefs centered on God toward our children and into our children, then we make determinations daily as to who or what influences and educates our children. Please understand, this isn't a message about public education, homeschooling. This is a message about teaching and discipling the next generation in the depth and the mercy of the Christ, of the riches of Jesus Christ. I happen to be an educator in a Christian environment and echo that we partner with the Christian home. But I just want to make it clear to us today that the word school is not a place. It is a process. We don't drop off our kids to a place. It's a building, but it's a process. Education is a process. Glenn Schultz said that in his book, Kingdom Education. So we understand what the influences are in our life. So here's a great Old Testament passage. And I'm just going to put this up on the board for us today on the panel so you can read this with me um, as I'm reading it. But we're going to go to God's perfect intent. God's perfect intent for humanity is to be culture makers. And I would really recommend a book by Andy Crouch that talks about, it's, it's pretty old, but it talks about not being culture consumers. We live in a world where we consume and, and judge the culture constantly, con culture condemners. But Christ called us to be culture makers. It began in the garden. Therefore, parents are the primary influence in a child's life. Like it or not, parents, you are the primary influence. That is very important, isn't it? But we got to get it into our brains because we can blame the church all day long. We can blame the school, but you are the primary influence or God would have never said what he said in Deuteronomy to us. So the church is the community that fosters the beliefs of the parents and the school facilitates the positive attributes of Christ's character in an academic environment. So let's look at God's spoken intention for a culture of promise to the next generation because it matters and they matter. But this is where it gets hard. Point number one, God expects perfection. <laughs> and all of us are like, oh, I thought you were gonna do something I could live by today. Like I thought you were gonna say something that would really help me and this actually does really help us. In the verses that we will read in Deuteronomy in a few moments, it's going to help us to understand something very, very important. God is perfect and lets us know that so that we know we aren't. And in his perfection, he presses me to dependence, not independence. Individualism started in the garden after sin. 
And we live in a very individualistic society today, don't we? That it's your identity and who you are. But God did not intend that. Where individualism came in primarily was, for, was through, well, the woman gave me the fruit. Well, the serpent told me to eat it. And we started all of a sudden building our own pillars and separating from community. Let's think about this thought about God expects perfection just so that we have an understanding. Listen, God doesn't set up his world so that we can see him as unfair. In fact, God is not unfair. What would be unfair is if God gave up his perfect state to be like us. God is not going to change. And that's actually a blessing because he's consistently loving me as I run back to him. So what was the perfect world that God expected? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter six and we're gonna read verses one through three first. It was a world focused on him. The only culture God wanted that Moses wanted from the, the, the nation of Israel, a world focused on him. If you don't believe me, let's just read the scripture. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, a generational, this is the promise, for you and your children. By keeping how much of his statutes? All. Which I command you, how many days of my life? all. Oh, this is getting exhausting. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that interesting? God is actually setting us up as the readers to be able to say, I can't do it. Have you ever been perfect in that? Have you ever looked back at the end of the day and said, I've kept all of God's commands. I've done everything. It's been like, and I'm able to look back and say, wow, for 2023, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting 100. I'm, not, I'm batting 1,000 on this. So it's setting us up for de dependence, but we have to understand that God expects perfection and a world focused on him. So at this point in Israel's history, it was nothing but brokenness and redemption. Brokenness and redemption. And I love what Jeff Blamer says in one of his, uh, in, in, in his writing, it's actually a dissertation about the nation of Israel. And if you want to write these down, you can, but I'm going to just, I'm going to add one at the end. But, but what was the distinguishing factors of the nation of Israel in a broken world? Number one, they were a people of struggle. It's interesting because Israel would struggle as a people, not individuals. And by the way, do you agree that they're a nation of struggle today? Today, God continually calls his people, Christians, to struggle together. This is why these little ones not only need you, but they also need the community of youth group. They need the community of small groups, just like you do. Because the struggle to live for Christ is certainly real, correct? And so when we have this incredible moment, it's a people of struggle, but it's a people of community. God always calls a people for his name to produce a people, not a group of individuals. 
We talked about that already. I find this interesting too. He calls it a people of obedience. God says, I want you to do all of the commands. And so I just want to encourage you as the people of Christ today that we understand this. A lot of times I believe we love for God to fill up our buckets with grace. God, give me more grace. Give me more grace. I know I sin. I know I have an anger problem. I know I have a lust problem. I know I have this. I know I'm not treating people right. Please give me more grace, grace, grace. And Jesus looks at us and says, I'm all of grace and all of truth, which means I expect you to obey. The people of Israel were expected to be a people who obeyed God's word. And I think in American culture, we are like buckets of grace. Obey? Really? God expects me to do that? Yes. That's why Jesus was full of grace and truth. Because the truth was something that actually could set us free. And therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Obey. It's interesting, isn't it? Because obedience is very key to the people and community. A people that set up memorials. Man, you can come to our house. There's verses in the house where I grew up. My mom and dad put up verses. There was memorials to remember who and what God has done, the works of God. A people of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Man, does our generation need to hear this. There is only, there's a thousand voices, but there's one God. There's a thousand voices, but there is one God. And he cares about you more than any of those influencers or those voices that you have. A people of the rabbinic model. When a Jewish young person came into their family, that Jewish young person was sent to the synagogue. They were sent all over the place to, to, uh, in, in the Jewish world, and they only learned the Jewish way of life because the parents wanted them to be a Jew. There's a people that worship God in all of life. And lastly, the one that I'd like to add that came from the author, Jeff Blamer, is that he also says that we, the nation of Israel, were called to be a people of salt and light. This is culture making. So I just want to, this is another statement that I want to just say as we go through to, to this next point here. But just, just to challenge your thinking, God is never asking his people to expose themselves to the thinking of the Gentiles. He never says, hey, Disciples, let's go see. I know I've been teaching you for two and a half years. Let's go over and see what the Gentiles think. And see how that matches up with my truth. It's interesting, isn't it? At least it challenges us and helps us to chew on our, our faith and our practice in the word. That's why I think Proverbs is written for us where it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So a people focused on the world that God has given them, but a people focused on the word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God, notice it again, with all your heart. Man, that's almost impossible for me as a broken individual. With all your soul and with all your might. Boy, I tell you, Jesus nailed me on this when I continually, I, I, I know how to love me really well. 
Once again, I'm just preaching at myself. But there's a key here. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Like they're part of your DNA. You shall teach them diligently. You hear that? Man, I hope that youth group addresses this subject. No, no. You address the subject. Grandpa and grandma, Meemaw, whatever you want to be called, you address the subject. You're actually supposed to be culture redeemers. Chuck Colson sat right here. Many people have told me that. Chuck Colson was like, I need to see how I can redeem the culture around me. And you know what? Some of you, God has placed the children in your life so that you could be culture redeemers. You're redeeming the culture right there. He said, I want my word everywhere. You mean like when we're watching that Netflix? Yeah. And you're binging? Yeah. And they're gaming in their room privately? Yeah. And they're watching YouTube videos while you're trying to talk to them? Yeah. And you're hoping to have a conversation, but it's that time of the day where they're like, yeah. The influence of God's word. If we believe in Jesus Christ and God's authority alone, the only thing that matters is his word and truth. That's what he said. That's exactly what he said. I want you to love me with everything, all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. Everything. You're like, well, Ryan, it's setting up for me to fail. That's why we need him. He's setting us up for dependence on him, not failure. So this is why really when you see just like the influences of life, you see that the home is the place where our children learn the most. You see church is the place that facilitates what you're teaching and school is all the way down the line. We're just, we're a supplement of the church to support hopefully what you're teaching in the home. It's not easy. Think about what Paul said later on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I don't believe that really the impetus of the verse is really for the words that are coming up, but it's really this. When it comes to the heart of an individual, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then he says this, and is profitable. I will not read God's word if I don't think it benefits me. If you don't spend time with God, because all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable for something. If you're not spending time in the word of God, you're like, man, you're stepping on my toes. If you're not spending time in the word of God and you claim to know Christ, something else is more important. Because if I don't see it as necessary for me, I don't do it. That's just the plain and simple truth in my schedule. Isn't that for you? Like the word of God needs to be some, become something that we've got to get done. Not maybe get done if I ha don't have a busy schedule. So we have this perfect God calling us to a perfect state. And point number two helps us to understand something here. We cannot be perfect, but we can hold on to the promise. The promise was to Israel. A savior would come out of you who would redeem us through his death and resurrection. 
And therefore we give the promise from generation to generation that Jesus alone is the answer for life. And I, I, I'm just gonna, like, I'm gonna take the last 10 minutes for all application, all right? I'm not a granddad yet. Maybe God will bless me with that one day, but I'm not. I'm just gonna be an old dad. Okay? Allow me to be an old dad. Glenn Schultz says that our children is God's homework assignment to us. And one day we're gonna hand them in. I'm going to stand before God. I wish Christy would be there. She's the perfect one. She's not going to be standing beside me. I'm going to stand before the perfect God who has by his grace redeemed me. And the inheritance that he's given me of our three kids, here's my worship. My prayer for our three kids, our prayer is that they would love Jesus passionately today. That's the only thing that matters. You're like, well, what degree do they? It doesn't matter. What matters is the God they serve. That's the only thing that matters. And you're like, you're pretty passionate about this. If I'm not gonna be passionate about the way my kids are raised, I'm telling you, there is a person that's passionate about it today, and his name is the devil. And he's not looking to meet with me at Starbucks and ask me how he can destroy my kids. He's trying to destroy them through everything he can. So I'm called to teach and to fight. And so are you. We're called, I say we, my wife and I are called to give a good marriage to them. To show them the example of Christ in the church. And some of you may be stuck today because you may be singing, uh, raising children in a, in a single parent home. May I just plead with you that if that's the case with you, you reconcile where you can in the, the body of Christ. You reconcile where you can because our kids need a male and a female representative to show them the way of God. Is that true? That's a good word. So if I isolate them into my way of thinking, I better be finding that aunt or uncle that's going to be like, hey, I need you to invest in my children because they need to have a godly example. Here's the pictures of our kids. All the, all the pictures that are coming up in a moment are from um, pictures that our comms have taken and from the Christian school. They're all kids that come into this world here. You might be, some of your parents are like, if I see you raise your phone to take a picture, be like, oh, my kid was in the sermon today. Can I just give you a couple of examples here in the time we have? The first thing I would say that I failed at miserably is I would pray. I remember walking the hallways of our home when we got back from dropping off our kids from college. Some of you know that feeling, don't you? Seeing some of the stuff they left behind, standing in their doorway and praying for them. And by the way, I would pray for their spouse. Not because of how much trouble my kids will bring to them. (laughs) But if they know Jesus, they're fighting the same world my kids are. Your parents, folks, younger parents here, your parents are the greatest prayers 
8.30 service this morning, those are the people that pray. Folks that are going into a different section of life, we need to be people that pray. Not try to control. I know it, mom and dad. There's mom and dads in here. You love to control them. You can't. You'll never save them from brokenness. You'll never save them. Pray. Number two, pursue. They're not, I, you'll have to write them if you want them, okay? <laughs> I'm not putting it up on a slide. I find out later on in life that we think that our kids don't want us to bother them anymore so we don't reach out to them. I'm gonna wait until they text me. Don't they realize how much I've done? You keep pursuing. You keep pursuing. They do realize how much you've done. Boy, I wish I would not have just sent my dad to voicemail. There'll be a time when your kids realize it. Do you ever, like young people, do you ever have a parent that calls at the wrong time? All the time? <laughs> that was my dad. You get where I'm coming from? Pursue. Got a text message this morning for 16 people in the Dupay family. When my dad passed away, my mom sends a verse to the whole family every day. Doesn't matter if they believe it or not. Well, they're not gonna read. It doesn't matter if they don't read it. Pursue. It's God's word. Promote. The teaching of God's word gives security. Let your children know this. Parents, take your kids deeper. Ask them what Christology means. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What is theology? Your kids know everything about everything that they can Google. We need to go deeper. We need to be promoters of the word. We need to understand the depths of the riches of Christ. Promote God's word. Practice. This is the biggest lesson that I learned because I'm thankful my kids told me. Why do you call me now in the good, the bad, and the ugly? Because I want to hear the ugly. It's because when I was younger and I disciplined wrongly or said things that were stupid, which nobody else does, I asked their forgiveness. When I walked out of that room, the spirit was like, Dupay, you are a dog. That's the way the Spirit speaks to me. <laughs> and I'd take about five minutes to let them think about what I just told them, and I'd go back in and I'd say, I gotta, I'm your brother in Christ. i got to ask your forgiveness. But you needed to hear the message. It just came from a, just a broken person. Some of us in this room, you need to text somebody right now and say, I need your forgiveness. I didn't come out right. Last thing that I'll say is this, prepare, prepare. Pray, pursue, promote, practice, and pre prepare. I don't have food for this morning. <laughs> if I did, it would be Little Debbie. Um, I would love an oatmeal cream pie if I had one, but if you have one, don't bring it to me. I don't need a little Debbie. Most of me is little Debbie. <laughs> I'm 
My dad's been passed away for about seven years. I don't know what it is about death, but we lived in Palm Harbor, Florida before we came here, and as I, we were living there, I was struggling. He's buried in Quantico, Virginia. I, I just wanted to be close to him. Do you get where I'm coming from? Anybody else like that? I wanted to be close. And my mom and my sister came down to our house probably to see how I was doing. My mom pulled out of her suitcase my dad's Bible. I had a full drawer of his watches, tie pins, his baseball glove. Nothing compares to this. I went page by page and saw his writing, cried over this thing again. Let me tell you something. It's okay if you take notes in a digital world. But I'm going to ask you a question. For a God who says promote the word all the time in our lives, let me ask you a question. What kind of Bible are you going to leave to your kids? What kind of Bible are you going to leave to your kids? When my dad got saved in 1983, I never saw anybody read the Bible avidly, as avidly as him. He left four Bibles that are just wrecked with notes. This is the legacy that matters to me. This is it. And if you and I believe that the next generation matters, you can put your money in all things all day, education, sports, you can put it in everything you want. But if we don't leave what matters to God, to our children, I'm just going to echo what Solomon said. Empty. Empty. Let's battle for the next generation and give them the truth of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. The hearts of our parents, the hearts of our children. Lord, I'm, I'm just praying right now over them because, Spirit, you're speaking truth. And my reality is, as I know in here, there's going to be some young people and some, uh, some singles. They're struggling. They're struggling with some sexual addictions, things that they, they don't even want to mention to people. And God, I'm just praying that you, would just, that you would just take and relieve their hearts right now, that they can run to a God who's ready for them to repent and parents that are ready to listen. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are parenting and grandparenting in here today, mentoring if they're single, parents that have been through terrible separations or divorces. Lord, I'm praying for all of them today that they would see that this moment is a time when our kids absolutely need Jesus more than anything else. Lord, accept our repentance and the cries of our heart to see our, our kids love you passionately. And we will thank you because God, you are God and you look upon us 
And thank you for giving us your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.